thank you for listening to Share the Load. I'm gonna do some of my um, quote-unquote ads at the top today, and I ask that you please not fast forward. We really do need your help to sustain this work. Even if some of these aren't fitting for you, I hope that you'll help spread the word. I'm doing a Boundaries in Your Business intensive. That's a two-day workshop for self-employed people, artists, graphic designers, freelancers, writers, um, practitioners, healers, therapists. Um, That is on February 20th and 21st. Then I'm offering a new class that I'm super excited about, a five-week class on the romantic comedy. That starts on February 27th. We'll be watching four um, formative uh, rom-coms from my adolescence um, and using consent concepts uh, to practice and integrate and really look at how we learned what we learned about sex relationships, gender Um, and, you know, everything else that we learned and internalized from romantic comedies. I'm super excited about that one. I'm doing an intimacy choreography workshop March 4th and 5th. That's in Los Angeles. And then upcoming in April, I have the next Somatic Consent Educator Program. That is for anyone who wants to bring consent work uh, into your work and or build a business around them and become a consent educator. Um, There's a lot of business support in that program, um, as well as practicing teaching the concepts and vocabulary and exercises. um, So you can bring that work to your community, to your office, um, teach corporations, do consulting, do one-on-one work with people, and it's great for um, the same people who the Boundaries in Your Business class uh, is designed for. If you're looking for a little bit of luxurious self-care, the link to Foria, uh, a CBD wellness brand, is in the show notes, and if you use that link, the podcast and consent wizardry get 10% of whatever you purchase and you can use the code mia s20 for 20% off that's a really wonderful way to help um, support what we do and get yourself a little something nice Um, passive income is really crucial for this work because i do a lot of work for free such as this podcast and the instagram Um, so i really count on some of that passive income the recorded classes on thinkific which are also linked in the show notes um, and classes to support this show and the the surrounding work beyond that free ways to help support are to take a moment to rate review and subscribe to this podcast you just heard tennessee shaking her collar um rate review and subscribe it really helps us um with search engine optimization within podcast apps. Um, And again, that's just a way to help spread the word. Uh, I really do want this to reach as far as it possibly can, and I hope that you do as well. The last thing that I will say is that I offer workshops um, on my own. I offer workshops uh, that are tailored to particular groups. So if you work in an office, where you think that this kind of work would be really beneficial, um, let them know. Send my website, consentwizardry.com, to your HR department. We are offering um, professional wellness consulting uh, with various people who've been on the show. Um, Umu, Minachi, Layla, Dr. John, um, uh, several other people who do amazing work. Um, we put together a team that fits the needs of your group. Um, I can also be hired separately to speak or to run a workshop or to consult. Um, you can either email me, mia at sharetheloadinc.com, or you can book me through sean at collectivespeakers.com. That's S E A N. 
and please consider subscribing to the newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's going on. Um, that's consentwizardry.com newsletter. Um, and another free way to help support is to forward that email to people who you think would benefit from the content that's inside. Um, really, whatever you can do to help spread the word is greatly appreciated. And if you have questions that you want answered on the podcast, email them in written or voice note form to podcast at sharetheloadinc.com. Before we get started, I want to let you all know that we discuss a show that MI was on on Fuse TV called Upcycle Nation, and we do spoil it in this episode. So if you want to watch that show and experience it, for the first time without knowing what happens, uh, do watch it first and then come back. Welcome to Share the Load, a podcast about consent, including and beyond sex. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV, film, and theater, and a consent educator. I'm also an artist. Um, and today I'm talking to M.I. Leggett who I've known now for quite a while, actually. I'm, like, surprised. Like, 2017 or something. Yeah. Um, And we met when I was selling ceramics, and you were selling clothes at the Hester Street Fair. Yep. And we traded, and I got some of my favorite pieces of clothing. We're in MI's apartment, and I found the cup that I... Yeah, it's right by the door. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting to see. It's like finding a baby that I left behind um, or like a photograph of myself or something. Anyway, I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, hi, I'm Emily Leggett. I use they, he pronouns. I'm an artist and designer and I focus on upcycling clothing and turn, like both pre and con- pre and post consumer unwanted clothing, um, upcycling it, and removing gender in the process. And I do painting and all kinds of other alterations. Um, yeah, I also do paint, like, make sculptures out of broken clothing and uh, paint on blankets and all kinds of stuff, really, like, whatever I can find. Um, I don't think you said the name of your brand. Oh, right, of course, <laughs> yes. Plug. It's officially rebrand. Um, I'm officially rebranding mm-hmm. all these items. Yes. Um, and just because no one can see what we're looking at, we're in your living room and there's hand-painted um, curtains and a like big piece of fabric on the wall that I'm loving and uh, just we're surrounded by your art. There's a sculpture of shoes. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool in here. Thanks. Yeah. Happy to have you. Thanks. Um, okay, well, let's start with the body I feel like that's like it'll take us in a bunch of different directions Mm -hmm. so you were talking well first of all you were on an upcycling fashion show yes uh it was the first season of upcycle nation uh you can stream it now on fuse which is not uh it's not a very expensive subscription (laughs) it's $1.99 a month month. totally worth it and a free trial and a free trial so you have no excuse (laughs) unless you live abroad in which case get a VPN yes uh, it's mu- must-watch material, um, but it was like, and I guess it's sort of episodic. It was kind of like Top Chef, no, Chopped, but of upcycle designers, mm. and it was a little bit less cutthroat, I guess, because you, everyone competed in both challenges. So there was um, a, like a simple upcycle challenge where we did like one piece in an hour, and then we had five hours to make a whole look mm-hmm. uh, out of various discarded like a, objects. It reminded me of Drag Race, like the mini challenge, and mm-hmm. then like the, what's the, the main challenge? Anyway, yeah. Um, okay, so you were talking about like the stress of it and like what happened to your body. Yeah, um, it was kind of funny at the beginning, we're being kind of held in this van like outside of the studio, and I had been, you know, thinking about going and competing on this show for like I guess I had known for about a month that it was about to happen um and my body just like reacted really strangely and I basically just had to like go to the bathroom a bunch Mm -hmm. um in my sort of uh anxiety emotional preparation uh but because the bathroom was like on set and we had to be um we were like not supposed to see what they were setting up so that we knew, like, what the challenge was. Um, 
we had to be kind of like wrangled the whole time and so a crew member would have to escort me to the bathroom every single time and yell designer walking designer walking so like in the first like hour of us being there um I have to get like a screaming escort through the set like over and over and over and I was like wow this is off to a great start (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then I didn't have to like pretty much go to the bathroom the rest of the day so it actually helped me um I guess gave me a competitive edge Mm, (laughs) in the end yeah I just had to sort of clear everything and then I got into this sort of adrenaline rush where I was really just on it I I was sort of more clear-headed and like working fast and effectively than I had pretty much ever felt in my life wow you know I have like such a long history of having to go to the bathroom constantly (laughs) I have (laughs) so I I, like really feel for you on that do you is that something that like has shown up elsewhere in your life yeah honestly when I'm there's like a party that I'm really excited to go to (laughs) um that happens as well then but it hadn't really happened from work because I mean I also you know have you know, shown at New York Fashion Week a couple of times, and those are also really high-stress situations, um, and it hasn't happened then. This was the first time, like, it was work-related, hmm. but I've also had, you know, I stabbed my finger, like, through my nail um, with a safety pen at my yeah. first fashion, or, like, CFDA Fashion Week show, and I was just like, well, that is terrible, but I just have to keep going, oh. and um, the sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't want to be working in that sort of headspace all the time, because it seems like, I don't know, I guess it, it's not, it doesn't feel very natural, I guess. I think it's not very, I mean, just from like a, you know, like a nervous system standpoint, like it's, it's a very high intensity Mm -hmm. like state to be in. And so I think there's probably a pretty significant come down. There was. And I was actually trying to Google this with like adrenaline hangovers. Yes. And I couldn't really find that much online about it actually, but I got on the flight like the next day or something and like the ca- the cast members like or the the people who I was competing against we all like hung out after the show was over and had like a really emotional night together and then the next day I get on my flight and I basically um, I'm about to go to Berlin and also have to stop quickly to go to my grandmother's funeral oh. on the way to Berlin and um so I'm like watching Sex in the City to the movie like dubbed in German to practice German and just like and to see your clothes in it well no that was the movie so it wasn't oh, my oh, clothes oh, were in the in the oh, reboot right, that's right. but um season two coming out uh-huh. hopefully they style it well um <laughs> but but yeah I was just watching Sex in the City 2 dubbed in German and just like everything made me so emotional I just like cried like basically the entire flight and these wow. two I was like in the middle seat and these two people on the other side of me being like why is this person like crying to Sex in the City like what is going on um but yeah I just felt like just like physically and just emotionally like I don't know completely empty and exhausted yeah um I mean it's reminding me of like any kind of performing like you know the way that I remember going on stage and like right before I would go on stage I'd suddenly have to pee really bad Mm -hmm. and then as soon as I was performing like it would go away Mm -hmm. um and I'm just like so in the zone and then yeah afterwards often feeling like kind of wiped out or this kind of like sense of ennui this like sort of melancholic boredom Mm -hmm. of like you know I was in this state of like working towards something working towards something and really focusing and then all of a sudden it's like whoa there's like nothing to be putting Mm -hmm. that kind of attention on yeah I actually maybe I'll edit this out we could decide but um I actually won the show and as you know but and I I I guess it's been like months now so I can tell the world but anyone who didn't watch um but yeah spoiler alert maybe we should yeah oops (laughs) Uh, remix this a little bit um but I didn't I couldn't really feel anything like I just felt so like numb and um yeah like I had been like this had been my goal like I had wanted to win so badly and then I did and then I was just kind of like well all right like what what what's next and I feel like similarly and just with like goals in general you know anytime you know I get a big job that I'm excited about Mm -hmm. um and then it you know work really intensely to get it done you get it done and then I just kind of feel like well I guess what's next uh and so that's definitely something I want to work on yeah uh and I yeah I don't really know how to try to be like more content I've been Um. working on this too I've been thinking about this so much especially because like you know towards the end of last year a bunch of things happened sort of back to back 
Um, one was that I got approached by an editor and asked if I wanted mm-hmm. to write a book. And so I submitted my proposal actually this week. Congratulations. So thank you. Um, and then I was asked to be interviewed for the LA Times by two different reporters who didn't even know about mm-hmm. each other within a week. And one was in an article about hugging. And then one was a profile on me. And, like, you know, my I have, like, two photos of me in the LA Times. I was on the cover of the calendar section. Oh, my God. And, you know, like... So receiving that email, doing the interview, I'm like, this is so exciting, this is so exciting, this is so exciting. And then the article came out, and I did celebrate, and I, you know, it felt really amazing. And at the same time, it kind of, like, triggered this sort of, like, anxiety spiral Mm -hmm. of, like, people, you know, like, recognition, concerns about privacy, you know, thinking about, like, reaching an audience that maybe I haven't reached before and like do I want to reach that audience and mm-hmm. and all these things about like just having eyes on me mm-hmm. you know so like it it really kind of kicked up a lot of um fear which which eventually really bummed me out because mm-hmm. I was like is this just what like this can't be what like any success feels like to me like I need I want to be able to enjoy this and to feel it and to celebrate it and like not just be concerned about um, the, the downsides. The downsides yeah. and um because so like one of the things that I was concerned about as far as like reaching new audiences was I was like, you know, at least kind of on Instagram or by word of mouth, like it's like it tends to be other like queer millennials, you know, like my audience is pretty niche. But with the LA Times I'm reaching like I don't know, anybody. Mm-hmm. And one of the people who signed up for my class who found me through the LA Times called me a greedy bitch last week yeah. in Jeez. like a really heinous email because I reiterated my refund policy that she had to agree to when she checked out, you know? And I just was like, we still have four classes left. I know you missed the first one, but like I'll see you in the next four classes and you'll still get the recording so you really won't miss anything. And, you know, now she thinks I'm a greedy bitch. But like, <laughs> okay, so anyway, you know, to this point of like, having the goalpost and then like meeting the goal like getting to the goalpost and then like moving the goalpost mm-hmm. I'm trying not to move the goalpost yeah or I guess also just getting being able to feel the satisfaction yes. when you get the goalpost right um, and like letting that sink in and like feel that in your body and not for me anyway like dwell on uh like all the potential like things that could happen mm-hmm. as a result yeah, I guess also this sort of kind of, and I don't want to sound like also a greedy bitch in this context, <laughs> but like the kind of never really satisfied yes. feeling where I always think like, oh, once this happens, I'll be like, my right. career will be like, I will have made it. Yes. You know, I remember like when I was younger, it was like be in paper magazine. Like yeah. once I'm in paper magazine, like I'm set for life. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like then I, you know, within a year got into paper magazine and then like felt like actually pretty much nothing had changed right and yeah I just kind of like why couldn't I just like actually feel that satisfaction and then in a way at the same time like not feeling satisfied by that um motivated me to keep going yeah but I don't know if that's necessarily yeah the constant dissatisfaction it's heavily motivating but it's not wonderful to live with no it's it's (laughs) not I mean you know one of the things that I think I've been recognizing that's that's the M train um in terms of my career is like no one thing is the thing Mm -hmm. so like you know the same week that I that my LA Times article came out um I applied for unemployment Mm -hmm. and I like took my article to get framed at the frame store and like um the guy gave me a huge discount and I used like a used frame Mm -hmm. because um I couldn't afford like Mm -hmm. the full deal um and then even, you know, like, getting what what looks like, like, a, a book deal coming coming my way, like, you know, in my mind, it was, like, if you write a book, then you get an advance, and that advance allows you to, like, dedicate to the book, like, what you other, like, to treat it like a job, mm-hmm. you know, for however many months, but my advance is not going to do that. Like, I'm just going to have to write a 200-page book in addition to my regular oh, work my life. Yep. Um, so, uh 
but you know, like it's okay. So then you write the book, and then it gets you the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and you get the LA Times article, mm-hmm. and it maybe it doesn't pay off financially immediately. But like, how many? But people... like, you have all these new clients who think I, that you're a greedy bitch. Yes. And, you know that's challenging, right? And like, you know, a unique challenge in its own way. That it obviously is. not very fun to have to deal with. No, but you know what? Um, I will say, like, the end of last year, I was doing a lot of processing around like the ways that I'm. It's you know, with, with whatever this, like, quote-unquote, like, micro-fame on the internet is doing for me. It's, you know, it's doing a lot. It's doing really wonderful things, but it's also um, leading people to find me who are, like, looking for a kind of healing and guidance that, like, mm-hmm. I do, don't even claim to provide. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when I can't heal them or fix them, they are very upset with me and, uh, you know, think that I'm, like, a fraud and a hypocrite or, like, not you know like living by my own values or whatever and um you know it's just it's been a small handful of people but like they are very loud you know Mm -hmm, what I mean of course um and so I don't know I've been one of the things that like came out of being called a greedy bitch was that it was like it actually kind of helped in a way because Mm -hmm. I was like it sort of was this like final like door shut on like you know what people are gonna think whatever the fuck they think yeah you're like I can't do anything about it you're not accountable for their emotion no I'm not and so like even you know the ones the ones that I think really have have cut and like stuck with me are the ones that like pull at insecurities that I really do have Mm -hmm. um and then like make me doubt myself and this one was just like so outrageous that it was like funny Mm -hmm. um so it has actually, in a weird way, like kind of helped me through some of that anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I think being able to find humor in things, and I guess this is why people say like comedians are actually usually very like complex, yeah. fraught individuals, but being able to find humor in things um, really can help process, or yeah, can help you just like be okay and move through them. And like yeah. the hilariousness of me just like sobbing to Sex in the City in German, like it helped me like be like, okay, like you're feeling a lot right now, and like that's okay, and it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, with all these, like, I don't know, I feel like the, the I don't want to be, like, dissatisfied because I'm doing what I love to do and I'm just trying to figure out how to focus more on the positive things. But then, you know, the one really pissed off person for how you, like, frame a, you know, statement on Instagram and they, like, send you a paragraph about why it's, like, so problematic. Um, I think it's, yeah, I just try to take that stuff into account and then, like, see if it influences, like, if I can actually see, th- like, I try to see where, where they're coming from. And then, like, kind of just try to take things in stride. And But yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, it's so hard, like, running a small business, like, to, like, the things that get in your way, to let them really get in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I really try to just focus on, like, the positive things as much as possible. But, you know, it's, we're imperfect. Yeah, um, well, yeah, and it's, like, hard you know, there's a lot, there's a constant conflict of, like, living within capitalism and having to make a living within capitalism, Mm -hmm. but, like, hating capitalism. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) for, and, like, for, like, making art, like, as my livelihood, I would not want to do anything else. Like, this is, you know, what I love doing the most, but then again, having it be my entire, like, livelihood is tied to this art practice. Mm -hmm. Um, It, yeah, I mean, it, it takes some of the joy out of it, but I just try yeah, I mean, just trying to let myself, like, be playful with it and know, like, things, like, sales go in, like, ups and downs yeah. and in rolls. But, like, if I'm making work that's true to myself, hopefully that will, that's, like, that's the most important thing to focus on. Yeah. Um, however, also, like, I have to focus on things that will sell, too. And the work has right. changed a lot, like, since the business has grown and I actually have been able to build, like, a sustain- sustainable business. Um, yeah, like, having that influence your art practice is kind of a bummer, but it's also, like this is being able to sustain yourself also is you know the opposite of a bummer like right right um, well and you know I guess if I'm like looking for uh I don't know I don't always like to try to find the silver lining because I don't want to try to convince myself that like something isn't fucked up and like when it is but mm-hmm. what I have found as like an outgrowth of that is like I've really worked up this like resourcefulness muscle mm. and like a this kind of like brainstorming like a creativity that I didn't really know that I had around business that I do find very satisfying mm-hmm. and that I feel like I can share with other people and like impart to people around me um but yeah like if I didn't have to make money I I don't know I wonder how the work would be different yeah um but, you know, you touched on something, like, around considering what people are saying 
to you online and like when people have a point and when they maybe don't or when like you simply just disagree with what someone says and I think there's like two things in there that have been on my mind a lot lately one is that like I don't think first of all I don't think that like Instagram is the place for accountability in any like productive way Mm -hmm. but along those lines like I don't think that it's become it's just clear and clear to me that like accountability is not really something that can happen with no relationship Mm -hmm. and so like um you know when it's when it's happening between people who just don't know each other at all which is usually the case online Mm -hmm. um there's not much hope for it you Mm -hmm. know like I'm very very um invested in accountability like from my community from my friends from people that I care about from people who I would ask their opinion on anything you Mm -hmm. know but like from from strangers it's just it's it's just clearer and clearer that like I don't know where you're coming from I don't know you I don't know if this is like if you're doing this because you're bored yeah I don't know how you know me like how you found this page exactly I don't know if our values align I don't know if our politics align all I know is that you like like something that I said at least once Mm -hmm. um and then you know I think that does tie into like what we were talking about over breakfast around Mm -hmm. like feeling this like sort of grip around like am I being radical enough? Like, am I, am I radical enough? Are my friends going to think I'm radical Mm -hmm. enough? Like, yeah. And I think another thing too, is that we get like distilled to like what our page is. Like, what is your, this like presence? That's just like a tiny fingerprint of who you are, um, distilled into this like Instagram format, which is, yeah, kind of like a visual primarily mm -hmm. format. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't really encapsulate like all the nuance of who we are and you know our like respective businesses are not like I mean it is us but it's also like a separate yes, you know right. thing and I think there's like so much room for like questioning and um like growth that you don't always necessarily like have to or should like show like show on Instagram all the time like yeah um th- like just like my own realizations or like personal experiences Especially like, things that are really personal. Like yeah. You, and you and I both do work that is deeply personal mm-hmm. and, like, you know, meaningful on a level that's, like, about our even our identity and, like, understanding who we are in real time publicly. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's, there's ways that, you know, we're learning about ourselves and then sometimes sharing it and sometimes deciding not to share mm-hmm. it. And the information that sometimes I don't share is the very thing that is, like, why I'm getting scrutinized Mm -hmm. in certain ways yeah it's interesting with such like identity-based work um I sometimes get anxious about like people thinking of me like commodifying my identity um especially because I am selling clothes but also at the same time like I I'm like trying to use my identity and like my exploration and like freedom that I found in being non-binary as a way to help other people become like embodied and you know help figure out who they are and like you know the people who probably think that making like me making videos of me doing like putting on testosterone gel like I'm sure some people think that's like cringy as fuck and my personal you know my personal medical things that don't need to be put online but then for like all of those people there's also so many more people probably who and like people who I've heard feedback from saying that it's very inspiring and help them like like think about their own situation more and like it has been for me well thank you I'm glad yeah sometimes I'm like is this cringe and then it's like well it doesn't matter if it actually helps some people yeah or Uh. if it's meaningful to you you know it's part of your art it's part of your expression like you know um a lot of a lot of my work my creative work is very autobiographical also Mm -hmm. and I think um I was gonna say something about what I don't remember well it's like all about sort of filtering it through like your own moral compass and like your integrity Mm -hmm. and then like if other people think whatever they think you know I don't know I think about that a lot it's like I might put something out that someone doesn't agree with and, like, I could spend all day trying to guess how they're going to interpret mm-hmm. it. But, like, that's ultimately not really in service of what I'm trying to do Yeah, large. Yeah, I also think it's hard with putting stuff out there. And, you know, my ideas change when I learn new things right. and when I experience new things and, like, grow as a person, as a business per- person, <laughs> um, as an artist, as, like, you know, a friend or a lover or whatever. Like, these things like shape you all the time and I look back at interviews from years ago and I was like well I was just a baby yeah and you know my views are probably gonna actually be informed by a whole number of different experiences and like there's like a you know a concern about saying anything like 
but then you know it's like well what if I actually don't feel this way in you know 10 years or something um but yeah I mean the timestamp nature of it is interesting but I also think that like yeah Instagram like flattens us all like our public persona online like flattens us all and then being like having to be accountable to your um to 24,000 followers that you don't know (laughs) yeah yeah um you know I've been describing it as like I have this metaphor that I really like that like every post on my page is a tree within the forest of this page Mm -hmm. which is that forest is part of a much larger larger ecosystem that is the entirety of my body of work Mm -hmm. which even includes like plays that I wrote years ago Mm -hmm. and music that I've made and you know my ceramics and my relationships and like all 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 these things that like are part of my authentic self-expression and like what you see on my page like no one tree stands alone Mm -hmm. and yeah and then that I think it makes sense like having comments turned off because if anyone's gonna judge try to put pass judgment on you from like one like slot carousel um I mean I think I mean the internet is an amazing place for discussion but also at the same time people passing judgment when they're only judging something on the surface level of it or, like, in, like, an overview kind of context. Like, all of these posts, like, are classes. Right. And, like, a class is not an infographic or, like, right. you know, an Instagram carousel. Um, but at the same time, I think it's so, so valuable, the work that you do putting, trying to distill this stuff into a way that's, like, kind of easily digestible for people and then giving yeah. them the option to go deeper. So. Yes. Well, thank you. I, you know, that's, like, that was part of my initial goal was, like, when I started learning about consent, I was, like, I'm going to try to make this as digestible and accessible as I possibly can. And, like, that's my mission here. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Instagram page. And, like, often often it works really well. And then often, not so often, but, like, from time to time, there's something that just, like, I'm attempting to fit too much into something that just, like, is mm-hmm. a bite-sized medium. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's built to be an amuse-bouche. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, and then, and then one post doesn't, like, address all classism uh neurodivergence like um transphobia racism like all in this like tiny carousel and so then people are like resharing it and saying like this is missing the mark or like i see what you're saying but it's like lacking nuance and i'm like like, it's it's instagram it's instagram it's It's a visual medium like look at it in the larger context of the work i don't want to spend this podcast no i know we're just like bitching about instagram but like but it's a bit, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing because I think I've, I've really expanded like my compassion and empathy for like people who do you, like I would never now go onto a page and like criticize a post. I would just know to myself, like I disagree with this or it's not for me. And that actually has been like very liberating for me. I've also really stepped away from Instagram and like I draft the posts and then I schedule them and then I don't really go on mm-hmm. there anymore. And it's been so freeing for my mental health because because largely of this question of like not feeling like being afraid of not being radical enough, having this like just, you know, death grip around my own throat and like the words that I'm saying and I'm like um, you know, what's the latest thing that this influencer has said about this and like if I don't mm-hmm. know or like oh Gwen Stefani said something horrible today and like do I need to address that and, you know what I mean it's like I oh I God. feel like I'm out of touch in a certain way now but it actually feels amazing yeah because like Instagram actually as much as sometimes it can feel like the whole world it's not it's really not it's really really not um and I've also noticed like the way that the the the, the quickness with which people um like we'll jump down each other's throats on Instagram is something that bleeds into my daily life. And I see it amongst my friends and I see it in myself. And I've been very invested over the last couple months. I've been taking um, this class called Trans Joy um, from a, a teacher named Sean Dees. Um, I highly recommend it. They teach it on a recurring basis, one for BIPOC and one for white people. I actually have it today. Um, yeah, I love this class. And one of the things, like... I love trans joy. Trans so joy, I know. ideal. Yeah, so, like, I was already kind of, like, thinking about this before the class started, but it just fit, fit so well with the class, like, that, that, you know, in order for me to, like, preserve connection and community and, like, deepen connection and authenticity, I can't be policing 
myself constantly and I can't and if I'm policing myself constantly then I am inevitably policing other people yeah and there's not as much room for actual like creativity and movement exactly um and yeah I mean we were talking about this with like pronouns and just trying to be a little bit I mean it's gonna be so frustrating when people you know they've known you for five years or they've known your pronouns for five years and they still can't get it right right but at the same time like attacking them about it will never help them actually get it right no in fact Um, it's generally gonna like cause them to shut down and close off and then think that and then be afraid of you yeah that unfortunately doesn't help yeah Um, even like you know I'm not and I'm not it's there it's like a it's a dance because you know I I do my best to avoid using like african-american vernacular english right like i don't think that's appropriate for me as a white person but there are a lot of words that i maybe don't know are like from that vernacular and so i'm i want to be told and i want to know and so that i can do better but i'm also like not interested in like policing other people Mm -hmm. around these things so it so it is you know it's just it's a balance and it's like a constantly moving line Anyway, I'm, like, trying to also, you know, I'm thinking about, like, my parents and my extended family where, like, some of them, I'm the only trans person that they know. And so am I, you know, that feels like an enormous responsibility that I don't really want. You carry the mantle of all of us. I do. Yes. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know okay, so, like, what can I do to support myself and my nervous system when I know that I'm going into a situation in which I am going to get misgendered, as opposed to the alternative, which is to, like, walk into a situation like that incredibly tense and stressed, Mm -hmm. and then to, like, snap at people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, I'm still, I still, like, especially with my, like, immediate family, it's still so disappointing when they misgender me, but I'm also trying to remember, like, I am not my pronouns. I am me. They do see me for who I am. I feel, like, a little bit erased when they still don't, like, see me as, you know, the gender-expansive person that I am. Yeah. But, you know, I'm. we're not all limited to, like, we are not our pronouns. Like, we are so much more than that. And, like, they do see me and love me, you know, so I have to say, like, that's at least the most important part. Like, they're not, you know, rejecting my pronouns they're not rejecting my gender identity they just like don't really get it right um but I think they're trying you know that's (laughs) so beautiful and that's reminding me of like when I took painting classes in college and like learned about color theory I remember noticing that like as I got more into like the nuances and like theory of color I started like literally the world around me changed visually to me Mm -hmm. like it didn't obviously change but my brain was seeing it differently like I would look at those blues in that curtain and like have you know see varieties in Mm -hmm. in the colors and like notice them in ways that um that I hadn't noticed them before or I would look at like shadows different and like notice purple in the shadow Mm -hmm. or like um you know look at the sky and like it just it gives you more um it kind of fractals and it starts mm-hmm. to give you like more subtlety to work with, which is really, I love that. And, you know, it, it's also reminding me of like, you know, learning about coffee and doing coffee tastings. And then like at first everything tastes the same, but then eventually you're like, oh, that one's from Guatemala and that one's from Ethiopia. They're very different. Anyway, this is all to say like the same thing happens with gender. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go into it and like do that real looking like if you don't change the way that you're looking at it you don't see it it all Mm -hmm. tastes like coffee yeah so you have boys and you have girls so there are there are people in my life who I do know see me they really do see me and they understand me but they don't have that like fine-tuned sense of like gender variety Mm -hmm. gender variance which is yeah I mean it's just that's such, such a beautiful metaphor of like how much more richly you can see things yes. if you have th- that understanding and even like there's like you know being trans is a spectrum as well like there's like yeah. a non-binary trans cis spectrum and they're you know like cis people who still like have some gender variants in them but they don't necessarily right. have to identify as non-binary or trans but yeah I just feel like we're all like really complex and nuanced individuals and having to like a label can be really empowering and I feel like when I finally found the like the words for being non-binary yeah um that was like hugely empowering for me but it's more about just like 
yeah, knowing it's like an entire like wide spectrum and there shouldn't be any sort of like limitations and these these boundaries really or like the like strict gender norms are really push, holding everyone back, like cis yes. people included. Yes. Um, and yeah, I remember like realizing like that you didn't have to like you could be not a boy or a girl in like a sort of like workshop that I w- uh-huh. was doing where you stand on the line if something applies to you and someone didn't stand on the line for I'm a boy or I'm a girl. Whoa. And I remember my mind was just blown. I didn't know like about they them pronouns or like being non-binary at the time but I was just like oh my god like that's an option and of course it's an option and I never realized until like I someone until it was like visually Mm -hmm. acted out basically Mm -hmm. um yeah and so I'm very thankful to have all these like tools and frameworks to think about it now and the people who came before you yeah didn't stand on the line yeah of course um but but yeah, but not everyone like gets to have that framework. Like not right. everyone gets did diversity workshops. Like right. not everyone got to study like queer theory and it's... Or go to public school in Los Angeles like I yeah. did. You know, like if you didn't have exposure to these things, like it does take a certain amount of and also, you know, it takes a willingness to like question mm-hmm. things. And I think I I know the feeling of like if I start questioning this everything might unravel. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just not going to go down that road. You yeah, know? and I think that's what a lot of cis people with, with gender stuff, that's what yeah. is scaring them so and much. And, and, like, their identity is being threatened because actually, like, your identity might not be as stable as you think you are, and yeah. having a stable identity is very grounding for people. Right. Um, and having rules. I've been thinking about it sometimes a little bit as, like, a like a dom-sub situation. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the sort of the, the serenity of surrendering as a sub, um, like I think a lot of people feel that way when it comes to like um, the societal rules. Mm-hmm. Where it's like if you just tell me how to do it, like I oh, can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Can do it. Well, that's how I, I mean. I feel like that is something about like being submissive that occasionally is very appealing. Is yeah. like constantly trying to do everything right in your life, in your business, in your yep. you know social life, in your artwork, and then you can just say like, well. Tell me what to do. Yeah, like, I'm completely, like, surrendering. It can be very relaxing. It is. It is. You know, I mean, to... I've been looking for that for myself. <laughs> a dom, I mean. Yeah. Well, I unfortunately, like, did end up accidentally hurting myself because of this. Like, oh, yeah, I could just do whatever. Like, whatever you want. Um, and, yeah, we've been talking also a little bit before this about my, my back problem. Yeah. And I threw out their back. Yeah. I threw out my back. I was having sex. But, like, <laughs> the first time I threw out my back... I was sneezing, so it actually Ugh. can be very innocent. You threw out your back picking, picking up, up your dog. dog, so my dad threw out his back, like reaching down to tie his shoe one time. No, yeah, oh God, no one is safe. No. no, no benign action. You can't even sneeze. No, um, but yeah, I've been I've been dealing with this problem where I throw out my back and then I can't really do anything for three days because mm-hmm. I feel like I can't take you know half an hour to do the exercises that I need to do to strengthen it. Um, because I'm like, oh, no, I have to work. Do you but think that, your body is telling you something when you're back? Yeah, out? probably. I mean, I think my, my dad also has said, like, it relates to stress yeah. for him. And it's like, well, the stress is constant. So I guess it can happen at any time. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess it's a stitch in time saves nine or whatever. I really do mm. need to be doing. And, you know, my doctor has said, like, well, do you need me to, like, refer you to a chiropractor and I'm always like no 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 I know what I need to do to fix it it's just like I don't do it and this past time has been at a very inconvenient time because I was supposed to move and I have a fashion show in a week Mm -hmm. and now I'm just on my back unable to really do anything um I'm I'm better now but it's been like a whole week of hardly being able to do anything and um yeah it's just been such a reminder of like no you need to get serious about this and like you have to take care of yourself and and I guess there's, like, an emotional level, too, is that I need to probably – I mean, I've been in therapy for years now, and, like, I do feel like I am, like, taking care of my emotional self a little bit better than I have at other times in my life. But the physical component – I mean, they're so linked, as we yeah. said before. Like, I, your body is, like – and your brain are, like, inseparable, of course. Right. And, um, like, the constant communication between the two of them, you have to take care of both. And I don't feel like I have enough time to do that, but, you know, I don't have enough time to be on my back for four days. Right. Um, right. Like a half to, hour to, here will save you days. Yeah. Um, so I wish me luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, throwing out your back, you know, it really is just a constant reminder. To me, I remember feeling like, wow, what a reminder that, like, I have a body mm-hmm. that I have to tend to. Yeah. You know? 
And um, it also just reminds me of the gratitude I have for, like, the mobility that I have most of the oh time. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. Um, and, yeah, I think one of the, like, most depressing parts of it was, like, I couldn't stand up straight. And I was, like, completely <sighs> oh. tilted. And I, I asked my partner if, like, can, how, like, does my spine look messed up? And they were, like, you're completely crooked. And I was, like, oh, Aww. my God. Um, but We're also, like, not that old. No. <laughs> all my, my roommates are all, like, you're way too old to be, like, or you're way too young to be, like, living like this. And so, yeah, I just, I'm also feeling, like, immense gratitude for, like, the mobility that I have most of the time. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's very easy to just, like, be, like, so, like, feel so sorry for myself in these moments. But I'm really trying to be, like, well, I'm so thankful that I, this is, like, a temporary thing. Right. Um, right. And, yeah, I mean, with, like, having COVID, not being able to smell or taste anything. Mm. Like, you know, being able to taste, like, instant coffee after a week of, like, right. not being able to um but I just like tears of joy and this I'm gonna backtrack to the thing that you said about the color and also and then with coffee like being able to um like I don't like being able to see all like every the colors like so much more richly or being able to taste the coffee so much more richly but personally like at least when it comes to coffee I'm kind of glad that my palate is very underdeveloped (laughs) and like same with wine like I'm kind of like, I drink mostly instant coffee or bodega coffee, mm-hmm. and I'm, like, kind of good that way. Like, I would rather not have to have, like, really high standards for it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> often, like, jealous of, of people like that. I, you know, I was a barista for, like, 13 years, oh and it was gosh. my first job in high school, so, like, I've just been a coffee snob, like, just mm-hmm. by accident. Like, I didn't know that that was going to happen, but it did, and so now I'm just really picky about coffee. Um and, and then I worked at a really fancy Italian restaurant and learned all about wine. And then the same thing happened with wine. Yeah, it's a it's a burden. Yeah, I mean, and, it's and, expensive. And, and, and yeah, and like, <laughs> well, also seeing so much about, like, yeah, I mean, being able to see, like, the, the nuances is in every gender, though. I mean, you don't have to, like, that's not, I guess, like, a financial burden. No, <laughs> at that's least. True. And so, yeah, I guess there are things, like, I want to be able to see all the nuance in. And I guess, like, I would appreciate my coffee so much more. You but might. I probably would. But I also am very content with the fact that, like, I am, like, the least... Like, I'm, it all tastes the same to me. Yeah. And I can drink the cheapest. I mean, you know, I probably. I mean, I'd get, like, you know, organic fair trade, but, like, instant coffee. So. Yeah. I mean, there's Mo- no should here. Yeah. You know? I think it's, like, if it's something that you're interested in, then, like, cool, dive into it. What what I appreciate about it is the way that it um, just makes it more interesting to me. And, like, through that process, it sort of, like, can elevate that part of my routine into ritual Mm -hmm. in a way that like if I'm just drinking it because I need some caffeine it doesn't feel like it's um anything more than just like um what's the word that I'm looking for like fuel uh, well I mean uh more sort of like conceptually like it's just sort of like one of the things that I have to do in order to like move through the day Mm -hmm. as opposed to something that actually like has meaning to me yeah yeah I think it's um I think coffee for me is like a couple of different things because it's sort of a signal that I can start my day and that's yeah. one thing like with my back exercises that I need to do like I roll out of bed drag myself to the kitchen and then like microwave some water and put some instant coffee in it and then it's like okay you can go now but I actually probably need to like before I do that, like, actually stretch my back and... Or drink some water. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, drink that's water. A, I'm saying I'm going to have a sip of water. Yeah, now. that's a good, good idea. Cheers. Let's... And if you're listening to this and you have water... Take a sip. Take a sip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been doing that enough. I feel like with coffee, it's like, um, helps me. It's like a, okay, now you can keep going. Yeah. Kind of thing. And yeah, I should probably be drinking more water. Well, for for me, like the coffee is that. And then at the end of the day, the weed is like, now you can stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I stop think... and go pills. Like, exactly. Are we in the army? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's I appreciate that kind of ritual. I also like ritualistically quit on my computer. Like at the end of the day, I quit my email. I quit my calendar. Mm-hmm. I quit my notes and I quit Zoom just to make sure that I'm like, sort of closing that loop mm-hmm. and then I like reopen it that in the morning very healthy I have a thousand tabs all the time and the, they yeah but that seems like a good idea I have at least I have started to put my phone on do not do, disturb me too um I love that and I le- like I started at night I just did it just now I don't want to be mm-hmm. checking my phones while we're engaged in conversation but sure um oh yeah here. I wonder what time it is okay yeah we've been recording Cool. Time. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> My like, computer shut off. Um, well, 
we have been talking for a while and I there's something that we like said we wanted to talk about that I want to make sure that we get to which is um the way that we were talking about like having parameters Mm -hmm. in your work both like creatively and um and when it comes to like materials or sorry yeah well you you know I think a lot about like my job as an intimacy coordinator the way that I describe it is like we're going to come up with a shared structure and a shared vocabulary so that we can agree on it and then play within that structure like the structure Mm -hmm. is going to help us actually expand and create and like try new things your like system of organizing will set you free yes no truly and like I think I I equate it to or I compare it to like you know if someone tells me like can you write a 3,000 word essay on whatever you want I'm going to stare at a blank page and Mm -hmm. like maybe never get you anything but if they're like if you can write can you write a 3,000 page essay on like what it's like to be a non-binary intimacy coordinator on TV sets like mm-hmm. yes actually like that's gonna really help me focus and make something um, so I think there's a way that there's often like v- resistance to those kinds of restraints but I find that they actually are generally pretty wise and like help me expand um, because it's not like a total free-for-all the, mm-hmm. the other analogy that I use is like you know when you go to a diner and you get like a 20 page menu with like 150 options yeah. on it like panic this, yeah this is why i love being a vegetarian yes this is why i appreciate my dietary restrictions because if you tell me if i look at a menu even of like 12 things and you tell me that i can have all of them i'm like oh no now i have to make a decision but if you tell me that i can have these two things that's perfect mm-hmm. i love it so anyway so like you were sharing about how in your work um, like the restraints that you or the constraints that you've sort of given yourself have to do with like gender materials and then the way that that sort of like culminates into the consent aspect mm-hmm. is like not overtaking. Yeah. And yeah, that's the whole like background idea of my brand, like the backbone mm-hmm. of it is trying to take these things that were, you know, unwanted, but they exist and like they're either going to go to a landfill or um, yeah, go go to a fifth store where they're going to be passed over or you know there's any other I don't want to get into the whole like system of where our fashion waste goes to because sometimes it ends up like burning in deserts in Mm. other countries and just like a huge municipal waste problem huge municipal waste problem for people who didn't actually generate the Mm. waste in the first place but anyway so basically taking these these clothes that are unwanted and trying to turn them like into something that people do want it's a like a limitation and I think I would be able to like it would probably be it makes sense for me this way it would you know if I was just starting cut and sew like designing whatever you want from any number of things I think you know I am capable of doing that but oftentimes I get like my ideas for how to build things like from these garments like that are fully made already um and yeah whether it's like you know a sweatshirt that a friend had, that a friend gave me, that has mayonnaise stains, like, all over it. Those mayonnaise stains are an (laughs) invitation to, like, creating a composition. Yeah. And I love that. Like, being able to take this thing that's, like, a blemish and actually turning it into a a challenge that then becomes, like, you know, a unique thing that makes this piece truly one of a kind. And from Um, from my, like, from sitting outside of this and, like, watching this process from the outside, like, what that shows me is that like you are sort of in a deeper relationship with the material and it's almost like you're co-creating the final product Mm -hmm. with the material because it's something that would not have been what it becomes had it not like you're not Mm -hmm. imposing your will on it or your vision on it you're like working together Mm -hmm. and yeah my so my partner who definitely has like more of a business business ideology than me like I don't really like I first and foremost don't think of this work in a business way which you know for better or for worse um but like he's always like well why like why are you not just like painting on like the best stuff ever like why are you holding on to this storage unit full of like a menswear brand of other people's people's garbage that like you want to save but you're gonna just like drive yourself crazy trying to save it and I was like no but that's the point like I have like I have this like um mandate of like these hundreds of pairs of sweatpants with pockets that peel off because they've been in in like it's a weird fusing material and it's been in storage for five years um and yet like I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna change it and 
like it's a challenge and that's what what I want to do and I'm not going to throw this away like you know some of it maybe I do donate um but for the most or like donate like I taught a class at Cooper Hewitt and I brought all these jackets from Mm -hmm. like from this brand and I was like well like a big part of my like people think Cooper Union no Cooper Hewitt the like Smithsonian Design School um and so like I was trying to like I think with upcycling people think of it a lot of like thrift flipping and like you're taking one piece but I think one like the most interesting design challenge for me right now is taking like a whole lot of pieces that are all the same and they all have like some problems with them or they're like you know a a spec like from 2015 so it's Mm -hmm. like people don't like that's just like out of out of style now and unfortunately um or yeah I mean I think that's a problem with designing things that are super like time specific trend wise and I try Mm -hmm. to make things that kind of resist trends because of that um so that they won't like go out of style necessarily and there will be garments that people will oh thank you something about it I don't know how you do it or if it's conscious but it's like everything that I've gotten from you I'm like it just doesn't exist in like a a time or a season or a trend yeah which again for better or for worse sure um but yeah I want to make things that are not just like temporary and things that people will like throw away and I also like to repurpose things over and over like for my own personal clothes um you know when I I will have something that maybe wasn't exactly right to sell or it just Mm -hmm. didn't sell and then I make it my own because of that and then I'll get a spill something on it and then yeah. I do a whole new uh, thing based on that one of my favorite pieces was like a sweatshirt of an ex and I had drawn on it and screen printed on it and then I spilled a bunch of water on it and I loved how that looked and so I took a marker and drew out the spill cool. um and that made the marker like bleed a little bit but it just made this like you know shape that I would never have been able to make on my my own necessarily yeah um and it was just like random and totally out like egoless yeah um there's a bit of surrender in that as well. Um, it's reminding me of, I think I've talked about this on the show before, there's a there's a kind of um, theater-making process called devised theater that I trained in totally by happenstance. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and then I, like, ended up doing this workshop for free as an intern and was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, this, it's sort of this, like, non-hierarchical um, method of like making theater as an ensemble where like they're still a director but they're kind of just like there as a visionary and like a a, sort of an objective outside pair of eyes everyone really is participating in creating this piece of theater and generally you pull from source material Mm -hmm. and like put that source material into conversation so that it makes something greater than the sum of its parts and that's like basically what you're talking about where like you have and and then often in devised theater there's either like some kind of structural device that determines a lot of stuff or like um some kind of like almost like a rube goldberg machine Mm -hmm. where it's like when this bell rings everyone does this or like i worked on a show with an elevator repair service which is a devised theater company in new york and um, one of the devices that they used was that they had a, it was measure for measure and they had a teleprompter, um, that the stage manager was, uh, controlling the speed of. And so like certain scenes it would speed up and certain scenes it would slow down. And there was like a bit of a variable and some chance involved that sort of like, um, you know, functioned as almost like puppet strings for mm-hmm. the actors. Um, and then so devised theater, this approach is something that I discovered that my music teacher has an MFA in, which is just, like, bizarre that we, like, it took us a year and a half to even figure that out because it's just so um, kind of obscure. And, like, mm-hmm. like even a lot of theater people don't know what devised theater is, and it never makes any money. It's, like, you know, it's a very experimental mm-hmm. <laughs> form of art. Um, but so once we figured out that we both had that background, we started applying it to music making, and it was very liberating because there's a way that, again, it's that surrender. It's, like, I don't have to come up with something out of nothing I'm going to give myself these constraints and then whatever happens within these constraints, you know, accidental or on purpose becomes part of the finished product. Um, it's a much more like process oriented way of working. And it, it just, it really changed my life. Like mm-hmm. it changed my creative life entirely. Yeah. I, um, saw a play recently too, in this festival that was about like a work in progress kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I love the like lack of like, the sort of rawness of it and that they were still mm-hmm. working stuff out and being able to see something as a as a work in progress or in it's sort of in yeah in the process is such a is such a privilege yeah. um like you really get to actually I think get to see the artists like much more and I think that's to, like 
now just to take it to visual art like one reason why I actually like love Matisse so I'm such a simp for him because like he shows so much of his process in his paintings and he was like one of the earlier people to do that and I think that that's something I see like in, in painting a lot now what I like to do in my painting is show like you know I sometimes sketch things out on a garment and pen and then that's not exactly the the final composition but I like to leave the pen on there yes. and you know as the people wash the clothes like the pen will fade away but it's still like vestiges that. of that process there and like yeah I don't um I don't want to make something like totally perfect all the time I want right. I, I think that the like the fact that mo almost all of these garments like I am like working on directly um physically like being able to show um that process is just like a thing that makes it more unique um, yeah I mean I'm looking even like I can see it in the curtains right next to you and that's like you know a part of your work like it's a, it's a choice my I had this wonderful acting teacher who I reference all the time and she said that an actor's talent is in their choices mm -hmm. and I think I constantly over the course of my creative life have like struggled against the impulse to just be like as versatile as possible mm -hmm. you know like I just want to be I want to have every, something for everyone mm -hmm. and like what I find over and over again and yet I still have to like relearn this lesson is that like the the more specific choices I make the more authentic they are mm -hmm. and the more that I then see myself in the work um so yeah I love that yeah I guess building a niche audience not to take it back to Instagram but people <laughs> um people like things that are like yeah very like resonate with them uniquely yeah yeah I I'm I'm always partial to like an artist with an opinion or a point of view even if I like don't love it myself mm -hmm. you know like I noticed that in tattoo work like I don't like getting tattoos from people who are so versatile that you can't like tell that it's one of theirs mm -hmm. I really love when it's like oh that's a Mars Hobrecker like mm -hmm. that's a Brooker you know mm-hmm well, I think there can also be something to say about a tattoo artist helping you, like, realize your vision. Like, totally. if you want to bring, totally. um, you know, some people are just, like, incredibly skilled at getting, like, the lines perfect and Oh, this is, everything. like, just my personal preference. Like, mm -hmm. it's not a judgment on, like, you should be this way or you should be that way. It's just, like, I've noticed for myself that, like, even if I don't love someone's style, if they have a style, mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in their art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and I think tattoo artists can also do both of these things, but yes. be able to say like, like the craft of being able to just try take an image or like a film still or whatever. My, one of my first tattoos was like a Wolfgang Tillman's photograph um, mm -hmm. or like something like an object within a Wolfgang Tillman's photograph. And I had like a tattoo artist just like do it exactly. I've done, um, I've done, yeah. I've and like, um, and yeah, I, I guess you know there's also like a sort of a collaboration that you can do of both kind of like working it out together or you can just be like this is one of your pieces and I just wanted it like yeah and I'm gonna get it exactly as it is um so I don't know tattoos are fun I like um getting to know like people through that process and I think people, a lot of like like queer tattoo artists too or I mean you don't have to necessarily be queer but like think about it as like a therapy session in a yeah. way um Body and yeah I think yep. that um I was like the last tattoo that I got the artist was talking about like being able to get like a therapy license to do it and how like especially for like young people who are self-harming like getting Whoa. tattoos instead can be like um <gasps> like a amazing. form of therapy so I hope that I'm excited to see where her journey goes with that. That's so cool. Yeah. Whoa. Actually, wait. So my friend, who I just got a tattoo from in Hudson, Brooke Her, mm -hmm. um, they've been a tattoo artist for years, and they um, like stopped doing it entirely, but they're now in training to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to mention this today. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I did, like, gave some tattoos when I was younger, which is, like, stick and poke, classic yeah, college situation. Uh, or not necessarily classic college like the the history of that is like definitely not born out of liberal arts colleges at all so don't yeah, yeah, cancel yeah. me for saying classic <laughs> college um yeah ugh. um but I realized like I was still changing so much as a person yeah and my st my style of art was changing so much as a person like um that's why I ended up gravitating more towards clothes because you can change them mm. you can change like you can change your outfit you can change your clothes like you can I like rebrand my own clothes like time and time again like changing it a little bit like before like to fit with the right outfit or yeah. however and I just felt like I wasn't really at a place where I could be giving anyone like permanent artwork because um I was still like so sort of my own like creative 
process and my own identity as a person was still really unstable and it still is like we're always changing yeah um yeah so um clothes just like made more sense for me and yeah yeah, I mean I just like I just love fashion so much because you can really like just kind of express your inside how you're feeling that day and like put it on your outside um and like let yourself like create the sort of visual identity you want to um and like yeah I think there's just so much room for personal creativity um and yeah that's why I mean like thrifting is amazing yeah (laughs) um and it's yeah this like huge amount of excess clothing that we have is like really a huge problem (laughs) like massive environmental problem Mm -hmm. um but I do think that like having like clothes be accessible and affordable is important and like then people being able to alter it and make their own thing out of that like mm-hmm. I always say like well I, and I love doing workshops because I can't you know a lot of my pieces like help people uh, like resonate with themselves yeah. but also like I can't make everyone's perfect thing like but everyone can like take a pair of scissors right. or a sharpie and like you know make something that says something you can like scream without talking it's, mm. it's amazing wow well, let's leave it there. That was a beautiful little like, <laughs> soliloquy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I said let's leave it there. I just, <laughs> but one I, more thing. Well, I just hear so much play. Like, there's such a sense of play. And I think especially when it comes to gender, like, I, one of the things that has I've been, like, working towards with gender is, like, finding a sense of play instead of trying to, like, figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of trying to figure out, like, am I this? Am I that? What am I? But just sort of being, like, I can just play every Mm -hmm. day with this part of me. And, I like, I see that in your work. um, And you give that to other people. Well, thanks. I try. (laughs) Yeah, play is urgent. Yes. We got it. We got to do it. It's it's radical. Yeah, you can – you're only going to be able to, like, discover things. Well, you can discover things in challenging situations as well, but it's a really amazing opportunity to be able to like le- like learn about yourself more by giving yourself a space to play, like creatively yes. or even just like physically. Right. Um, well, so the consent button on that statement is that you have to feel safe in order to play. That's mm-hmm. like attachment theory stuff. Um, and so when we don't, and one of the best ways to feel to create that sense of safety for yourself is like a solid consent practice. Mm-hmm. Well, now let's leave it there. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Our opening and closing music is done by Amelie Rousseau, who can be found on Instagram at Sophia Bolt, Sophia with an F. She is an amazing um, musician. Uh, She makes music and plays all around Los Angeles. And she's also a podcast editor. So if you have a podcast, um, she can help. She also is open to writing music for your show. Um, she's a pretty incredible, um, music producer, uh, and she mixes as well, so I would recommend her to anybody. She's been my guitar teacher and music producer and has helped me really apply consent principles to music, which has been pretty fucking cool. I use Zencaster to record this show. And I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again. We really need your help to sustain this work. So please help spread the word and rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.